0: Hello everybody and welcome to a very special episode of the Inking Out Loud podcast. Today, at long last, the Wheel of Time turns and ages come and pass. That's right, we're finally getting started. Welcome to episode 27, the first episode of our Wheel of Time read-through. Beginning, of course, with the first half of the Eye of the World. I am your host, Rob Santos, joined as always by my co-host and lifelong friend, Drew McCaffrey. How's it going, everybody? Making another return as special guest, Drew's wife, Lauren McCaffrey.
1: Hey, everybody.
0: And to top it off, where would we be without our overlord of sound, Mr. Patrick McCaffrey? What's uh, up, dude?
2: Hey, guys. I know you've all missed me terribly.
0: <laughs> so much. I think it's been since the Acts of Cain since we've had you on, hasn't That's it? That's right.
2: And God, am I glad to be doing something not quite as depressing. <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh, my God. We've been waiting so long to do this. And, you know, up to this moment, we've had... And I calculated this very hastily just before we started. Something like 36 weeks since we recorded the first episode of the podcast. And, I mean, I would be lying if I said we weren't absolutely heading here from day one. You know, like, the Wheel of Time holds this special place, uh, specifically for Drew and I, because not only uh, it, is it the entire reason that we became friends in the first place, but also because of, you know, who it shaped us to be both as avid readers and hopeful writers. Uh, you know, I, I can absolutely say if it weren't for the wheel of time, this podcast wouldn't be happening right now. So I figure it's, it's only proper that we each describe, you know, how we came to find the wheel of time, how we discovered it, what our first experiences with it were like. Um, and drew, I'll pass it off to you first, man. How did you find the wheel of time?
3: Yeah. So I was, uh, I was 11. Um, this was back in like the spring of 2002. I was just about to turn 12 and, uh. I was kind of obsessed with the star Wars expanded universe at this point. And my parents were just desperate to get me to read anything other than, you know, the same 20 star Wars books over and over again. And, uh, it was right around that time that from the two rivers and to the blight were released, which are the, the, the YA split version of eye of the world. And they kind of stuffed it into my hands and said, you're going to read this. And, uh, (laughs) little did they know the monster they were creating. Right. You know, I, uh, took me a little while to get into it. But once I hit winter night, you know, I, I blazed through up to that point, winter's heart, which was all that was published. And, uh, and I never looked back. I mean, I've, I, the wheel of time has like in so many ways dominated my life. Um, you know, I've read these books upwards of 30, 35 times. Uh, you know, I'm very active in, in a lot of forums online, you know, I was on Wat Mania and Read and Find Out and Dragon Mount, and now I'm a you know a moderator for the the big Wheel of Time Facebook group with like whatever seventeen or eighteen thousand members in it now, and you know yeah, I, it's a big group. I go to I go to Jordan Con every year. I'm a panelist at Jordan Con. You know, like this the Wheel of Time as a series has shaped my life in so many ways. You know, like I'm. I'm a beta reader for Brandon Sanderson and I wouldn't be that if I hadn't gotten into the Wheel of Time. I write for tor.com now and I wouldn't be doing that if I hadn't discovered the Wheel of Time. You know, I'm I've written 3 novels working on a fourth. I wouldn't have done that if I hadn't read the Wheel of Time. It's it's crazy how much this series has shaped my life. So, I am thrilled to finally be getting back into this. And this is the other thing. You know, I've read these books dozens of times, but I haven't touched this series since 2015, you know, it's been, it's been going on four, four and a half years since I read the eye of the world and that long, eh? And, uh, and, and that was that 2015 read. I only got up through uh, book four before, uh, writing my own book kind of took over my life. And so most of the wheel of time I haven't touched since 2013, since after a memory of light came out when I did a, a reread. So yeah, like I, <laughs> this is, this is, uh, making me giddy here
0: yeah I know I've been I've been every day coming up to this point just thinking about it like ah, oh, this is kind of the entire reason we started this podcast so we could discuss something of this caliber. It's, it's oh, I'm so excited that we're actually
2: here. Yeah. Pat, what about you dude? Well, um, <clears throat> drew got me into the wheel of time primarily. Uh, it was uh, at your sister's wedding, we were off hanging out. You know, most of the time, because we were about the only people in that age group, and you were on fire about how awesome the Wheel of Time is. (laughs) And you ended up telling me a lot of stuff that I thought just sounded really, really cool. Fortunately, I forgot most of it by the time (laughs) I crossed it in the books. Right, Um, right, yeah. So I got started on the Eye of the World, and it it kind of, I wasn't a big reader at the time, so it kind of took me a while to really uh, get going at a good pace. Right, But I love the series, and as far as fuel for the imagination goes, there's few series that are better. Because the world building is just so nice. Um, Oh, it's so good. You can experience the books, and then, you know, on your own initiative, think about all of these things that could happen in this universe. All of the things you could do with it. You know, the, the Wheel of Time show is coming out, and that's just one example. Yeah. You know I, I have to express
3: some surprise that I was the one who introduced it because I know your your father, my mm. uncle and as well
2: as a couple of your siblings read the wheel of time before I did. That's true. And I I'd, I'd heard of it already, but it was only when you were um explaining like some of the things and how uh, how awesome it was yeah. <laughs> that I that you know it just caught my imagination.
0: Yeah. One could argue that it was when you saw somebody so close to your own age, and someone you were so similar to, glowing about it, that you thought, okay, this could be something that I could really dive into, and lose
2: myself in. Well, and it was the details, really. Yeah? You know, the description of some events that, previous to that point, I'd not... conceived of anything like that in, in a book. And, you know, at this point, you know, that we're, that we're all well-versed fantasy readers, it seems kind of uh, cliche. A lot of the things in in the Wheel of Time, but at the time it was uh, quite yeah. quite the opposite experience.
0: Yeah, I have whole points about this that I want to get to later. And throughout the the entirety of our Wheel of Time uh, podcast, what are you guys drinking there? What is ma- giving you this face?
3: Oh, we'll get to that. <laughs> I'm in sorry, the behind draft. the scenes
0: here in the in the uh, <laughs> in the, uh, the webcam, I'm looking at these three. They're just kind of passing off this kind of mysterious, dark looking liquid that's making them all look like they just. It was, it was pure, pure joy on day. my face, yeah, Rob. Pure joy. That was joy, Awesome. Okay. Um, so, uh, Lauren, do I even need to ask how you discovered the Wheel of Time?
1: <laughs> surprise, surprise! It was Drew.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Just as I figured. <laughs> when we
1: when we started dating, he gave me Mistborn for my birthday, and then after okay, I finished okay. Mistborn, I think is when you started pushing me to read the Wheel of Time. Took
3: me a while. Yeah, when when I was sure you you would enjoy it, that's when... And when I was sure we were in this thing for the long haul, because, you know...
2: <laughs> yeah, the Wheel of yeah. Time
3: is not a casual relationship kind <laughs> of series.
0: Yeah. No, no, definitely
1: no, totally not. It's
0: not something to start lightly. It is a it is a commitment in and of itself. You know, the Wheel of Time is just... Uh, it's the Wheel of Time. There's really nothing else you can compare it to nowadays, is there? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. and now, now I'm on my fifth reread I think
3: we're on 5 Yeah, you've pretty regularly yeah. just recycled as soon as you finish a you know a, a run through it you you turn around pretty quickly and start listening again well, or start
2: I reading again Well, cuz I don't have time. <laughs> I know the <laughs> feeling.
1: so long to get through them all.
2: <laughs> yeah, but that's the joy of starting out where we are starting out. Like some people complain that the series is too long, but for me, as someone who loves it, it's just more to love. Yeah, you know, and you imagine this journey, that you know, you know the steps of the journey, but you're excited to revisit them once again. Mm.
1: And oh, yeah. it, and you know, I each time you
2: read this series, it it takes on a slightly different uh, aspect in your imagination. At least it does for me.
3: Yeah.
0: Uh, so, he, Rob, uh, what about you? Well, you know, Drew. Oh, I, you definitely know, you know, my, I'm going to tell everybody now, mine and Drew's stories, you know, with our beginnings in the Wheel of Time are very, very similar. And you'll see exactly what I'm talking about, because check this out. You know, it was actually my mother who got me into the Wheel of Time when I was also 11 years old. And as a kid, you know, from first grade through seventh grade, I was reading one thing and one thing only. That was Harry Potter. And You know, I was the kid waiting in full Harry Potter cosplay at the midnight release for every book. You know, at the one bookshop that we had in my hometown. I read those books over and over and over and over again to the point where it was probably unhealthy. And my mom, who was, of course, a big Harry Potter fan at the time, having gotten me into it in the first place, to this day she's still a huge reader. At some point she also decided, okay, something's got to give. Enough is enough. And one day when I was 10, she brought home these oddly large rectangular like paperback versions of these books called from the two rivers part one of the eye of the world the beginning of the wheel of time and i remember thinking to myself well that's a stupid name like who would name book something (laughs) that long and that confusing and i just put it back down and i left it there and i'm ashamed to say it for like eight or nine months before picking it back up when i was 11 and this was my first, I mean, I finally got into it. I started it kind of nervously. This was my first taste of epic fantasy. You know, at this point in my in my young life, I hadn't even heard of Tolkien. You know, I started into that first book really nervously. Uh, but of course, you know, I was hooked immediately. I, I was 11. This was the coolest damn thing I had ever read. You know, and it wasn't until a year later in my school library of all places that I stumbled across what was the largest book i had ever seen in my 12 years of life at that point the great hunt and something about that name was was a little familiar i didn't i didn't quite place it i didn't know what it was so i read the back of the book and i saw the name randall thor and i realized in that moment just what i was holding you know i had thought of all the other books listed in the, in the the eye of the world as just novels by the same author. I didn't realize that they were actually all part of a connected series. And I remember my reaction, just everything kind of sinking in, everything I'd been missing. And I was like, oh my God, I am so checking this out. If the story goes on. I had no idea, you know? Um, so, then, you know, next Christmas came, I opened... The Dragon Reborn, I opened The Shadow Rising under the Christmas tree, and it remains, to this day, one of the most excited reactions I've ever had over a gift. Like, ever. Like, I demanded to take a picture that morning holding those two books. And, um, you know, somewhere in this house, somewhere buried so deep I hope no one ever finds it, is a picture of, of 12-year-old me holding The Dragon Reborn and The Shadow Rising, you know? So... And that's pretty much how I, I discovered the Wheel of Time. The rest of the series went by book by book, like all in the space of a single year, in my ninth grade year. Uh, of course the wait for Knife of Dreams was getting long, so I started rereading, and when rereading wouldn't quench my thirst, I began this t- habit of just picking a random one before bedtime and opening to a random page. And it, like over the course of a single week I would be reading portions of the Dragon Reborn, and then I would be skipping to the end of Lord of Chaos, and then I would be starting Winter's Heart, and I would skip again to, like, the end of, of The Great Hunt, and I was just kind of all over the place, and it was, it was madness for a long time. Um, but then, Facebook came about. I joined the Wheel of Time Facebook page, and I started interacting in the forums when I was, like, 17, 18 years old, and one day, I found a picture shared in that group of two cosplayers. One was a figure in black, a certain figure from the Wheel of Time that may or may not be a spoiler to say uh, the name of, but he was locked, I think it was blade to blade against this other dude who was in all white cosplaying uh, Ellen Venture from Mistborn, I think it was. And I commented, and I I don't remember what the comment was, but the rest is, of course, as they say, history, because that dude in white was none other than Mr. Drew McCaffrey here. And you know who the dude in
3: black was? No, who's the dude in black? The guy sitting right next to me.
2: What? Yeah. What? Pat, that was you? Yeah. What? Yeah, that was a oh Halloween my God. party. <clears throat> what? Yeah, and no, did, no, I, no kidding. You my, 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 my damn mind. <laughs> I can't believe you didn't know that. <laughs> no, I did Holy shit. I'm
0: just finding that out now. Isn't that amazing? Holy crap. That is incredible. I mean, so, yeah, that's, I mean, that's basically how I started the Wheel of Time. And as Drew and I became good friends, we, we we started to shoot theories at each other back and forth. You know, we were rereading like, you know, In Time for the Gathering Storm, Towers of Midnight, uh, the last book, A Memory of Light. And we started really discussing Brandon Sanderson's Cosmere. We discovered that we both liked the exact same bands, the same video games. And then one day last year, one of us went, hey, we should start a podcast. And that's basically how we arrived here
2: today. Yeah. So, yeah, that's it. That's mine. <laughs> you know, it's, it's fitting that we take this trip down memory lane. As we I can't start believe that was you, that dude! ...is so infused with nostalgia and happy memories for all of us. Well, and memory and myth and legend as themes as well. Yeah.
1: I thought you were going to start quoting there. <laughs> <You> <laughs> I
2: know, could. As we, as we go through the series, I expect that we'll be telling uh, stories that are germane to the particular books... As they as they happened in our lives, oh, I can't yeah. wait to tell some of those. <laughs> yeah. no, just wait. I, uh, well, just
3: wait till we get to a memory of light for that one. Yeah. <laughs> oh. oh yeah.
2: There's a lot so, to say about that.
3: <laughs> let's dive right in, shall we? Yeah. So uh, where do we begin? With, I do want to say like uh, for everybody who, you know who's listening in, we will be covering from the two rivers today. We yes. we will be covering up through the the chapter called Wolf Brother. Um, and we will be discussing the Ravens prologue that Robert Jordan wrote for the YA release of uh, From the Two Rivers and To the Blight. So uh, do we want to start with Ravens then? Because I was that's... just going
0: to say, Ravens is a perfect thing to start with then. We could just knock that out of the way, sure.
2: Drew, start us off, dude. Ravens. <laughs> well, before you do that, could I ask a question? Sure. Uh, yeah, in, dude. That, in that version, is the Dragon Mount prologue replaced? Or it is. is it... Nope, it's still there. After. Okay. Okay. So it, yeah. this
3: is actually one of the things I love about what Robert Jordan did with the Ravens Prologue. It was, uh, you know, targeted for YA readers, right? So he makes it from the point of view of nine-year-old Egwene, and he he explains the world and the history of the world a bit more succinctly in it by having Tamal Thor oh, tell yeah. the story of the War of Power, and uh, you know, because the Dragonmount Prologue, standing on its own, can be very confusing. Yeah. You know, like, you read that, and then you go straight into Randall Thor walking down the quarry road, and you're like, wait, what? Like, what did I just read? I don't know, you know. And so he, he gives context for the Dragonmount prologue, and he moves into it so well with that final line of Egwene wondering, and what actually happened back then anyway? And that's how Ravens ends, and then it goes straight into Dragonmount, and you find out what actually happened back then. It was a it was a really deft, you know, little little bit of writing on Jordan's part. Um, but beyond that, uh, staying in the writing theme, the Ravens prologue is a subtle, but uh, if you're paying attention, expertly done, um, example of what kind of narrator, uh, Robert Jordan's going to be using. And that is the unreliable narrator. You know, this is nine year old Egwene and the impression, you know, if you don't read closely, if you just you know read through it and, and take the broad strokes of it, it's that, you know, she's the best water carrier ever. She's gonna work hard, she's you know, she's ambitious, and then at the end you find out she only had to be a water carrier for one more year and then she got promoted and you're like, oh wow, she was the best water carrier ever. And that's the message you take away from it. But when you actually pay attention to the details, she does nothing but slack off in this. <laughs> Yeah. Like she's, she's constantly saying, I'm working hard. I'm working so much harder than these other people. But while she's saying that, she's standing around and eavesdropping, you know, like, or, you know, or uh, making fun of her sister, embarrassing her sister in front of her friends, or, you know, going and, you know, trying to find Rand and, and all this stuff and, and thinking uncharitable things about everybody around her. Which,
2: Typical Egwene, in yeah, other words. Yeah, get used
3: to that. Yeah. Oh, well, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but. But yeah, it's a it's a, a great example of the unreliable narrator. Where if if you if you just kind of read through the surface and don't you know really dig into what you're uh, reading on the page here, you can come away with a, a very different opinion of the character than uh, you might otherwise. So.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No. Like I started like. As Drew did, um, I started with the the young adult release from The Two Rivers. You know, I've never really known The Wheel of Time without this prologue. And yeah. I can only imagine, like, how surreal it would have been to read for those who actually started with Dragon Mount in the first place. Um, but I, I do admit that I can't, I can't really fully appreciate it, because I started with each of these characters right here in Ravens. Um, and I, I can't really say everything i want to and everything i had originally written down about this prologue without spoiling the future of the wheel of time um but i i do want to say that we can even see as drew said even at age nine like Egwene was the kind of like who exactly Egwene was like she was the kind of person to ostensibly throw herself into something you know as as you said drew she was going to be the best water carrier ever uh something a couple things i found about uh Jordan, though, specifically as an author in, in this prologue, though, there was a, there were a few points at which he was uh, not quite so subtle with Egwene's personality, and I have an example here. There was a, a point at which she said, um, you know, she wished she could have cut her hair at her shoulders, or even shorter, like the boys. She would not need to have long hair for years yet, after all. Why did you have to keep doing something just because it had always been done that way? And, obviously, not to get into precisely why, but for those who have read further ahead in this series, we see how Egwene, though much younger, is still absolutely 100% Egwene in this prologue.
2: So, yeah. You know, for a long time, we uh, had uh, this running... It wasn't really a... It was half a gag and half a legit theory that Egwene was a dark friend. <laughs> Wait. When uh, it was this? It was mostly a gag. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like... But but it's one of those things. You start viewing it from that perspective and her her whole character takes on new dimensions. But obviously we were proven wrong.
1: In alternate universe, I bet she was. Oh, man. (sighs) I bet she was.
2: But yeah, I mean, the
0: the prologue, Ravens. There there was one detail, and this is a final thing I had written down about this prologue. There's one detail I actually didn't realize I had missed the first hundred times that I read this thing. And that was the fact that Nynaeve was actually orphaned. Yeah. I, 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 like, how did I read this so many times and not pick up on that detail? Like, I figured she had lost her parents, but somewhere in between, like, the start of her apprenticeship and, and taking an apprentice of her own when she was already Wisdom. I don't remember s- somehow, like, reading that she actually lost her parents and that's why she became, uh, I think it's Mistress Baron?
3: Yeah, Doral like, Baron. her apprentice. Uh, so, yeah, she she lost her mother when she was very young and uh and she was raised mostly remember, by her father yeah. and then she lost her father. So
0: I like I as like the son that he never had or something. Yeah, yeah.
3: Um, yeah. there's also uh, speaking of that little mini scene with Nynaeve and uh and uh the wisdom uh Mistress Baron, um,
1: mm-hmm.
3: Yeah <laughs> There's there's a pretty a pretty big clue there that Mistress Baron yep. uh, can channel and knew that Nynaeve could channel because yep. uh you know, we we get the information that Mistress Baron's previous apprentice was also a channeler, had the spark, and she died of the uh, you know the the disease. Well, I mean, if
0: you're just starting the wheel of time right now, you wouldn't know that though.
3: Well, no, but they we you. know it now.
1: Yeah.
0: Do we? Oh, yeah, that's right. Because Moraine explains that to to. A, never mind. Sorry. My apologies.
3: Um, and and then in this scene, Mistress Baron, you know, like she has naive handle dressing you know the wound and everything and yeah. then as soon as 9 done with it she immediately unwraps it and sees that it's not healed and she's disappointed disappointed yeah she is
1: oh my gosh uh
3: yep again
0: so. drew th- th- this was the first time i picked out that detail oh. and i just it goes to show just how much can be gleaned just just on, on rereads. it's amazing how we continue to find new things lauren it sounds like you're just realizing this too
1: yeah, so I'm I'm not sure I read it the first time. You did. Okay, well, then I don't remember any of it.
3: <laughs> I made sure you read it before you started Are the series. Sure? Yeah.
0: Like you gave her From the Two Rivers, you didn't give her like yes. the Eye of the World? Yeah. Hmm. Well, I mean, hey, don't... Lauren, I read it a hundred times, <laughs> I didn't pick it up until now. If you've only read it once, or twice, or three times, I mean, it's still astounding. You know? So, yeah. Uh, is that everything we want to talk about with the prologue, Ravens? You want to just kind of dive into the meat and potatoes of the narrative here? Sure. Yeah. Alright. Uh, so, okay, so let, let's, okay, we might as well cover a little bit about Dragon Mount, because I, uh, listening to it is still, it's kind of kind of cool going back, having future context, knowing that you're reading The Age of Legends. I like I just I can't get over how cool of an and and surreal of an experience that is. I mean it's still there's still a lot of mystery there's still a lot of things being being covered, Um, but it's just so many great lines to begin. Just enough to make you curious. You know Jordan brings you in right away with this kind of dark chaotic atmosphere. We have the earth rumbled in member and Jesus Christ I can't speak in memory groaned as if to deny what happened. We have the dead lay everywhere. The stones that had flowed and sought almost alive. This this sense of mystery and madness of the entire world upended. And then in the center of that, directly personifying that madness is the man Luz Theron. And his personality, such a contrast to his surroundings. Like, I thought it was brilliant. I thought it was brilliantly done. What about you guys?
2: I, I like the prologue still. Despite the a little bit of what the man in black says is is a little cheesy and repetitive at times, um, that could maybe have used some pruning. But um, and you know at first read, a lot of the language and the descriptions just confused the hell out of me. I had no idea what he meant by like the stones had flown, you know, oh, yeah. as if they were alive. You know that you know, but rereading with with what I know now, it makes a lot more sense
3: yeah b- exactly. but the
2: atmosphere was good as well
3: um yeah you know the uh you know Elon Morin the betrayer of hope as we see in the prologue there uh he is a little mustache twirlingly evil um yeah, yeah. sure sure uh, but I also think that kind of sets the tone and he uses that as a as a kind of a hint you know going forward uh for what kind of character the betrayer of hope Elon Morin is. um.
1: Yeah, I mean... I will say... After watching that one episode... You know, Winter Dragon... Uh. Where they do <laughs> Dragon Mountain... I like... Beautiful. The way that they illustrate... His madness. Like... Yes, there are problems with that one episode... But I like... They have these little dolls... On the floor, everywhere... Mm-hmm.
3: I liked that touch and as
1: well. And it's and it's a mess, and he's just a, like that's that's what he's seeing, and he he like, I, doesn't he like pick up one of the dolls or something or like touches it and he's like remember. walking you know, around I, yeah. like,
2: I absolutely forgot this even existed until you brought it up. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry to, that that it's in your mind again.
0: You know, and I I'll be a little contrary here, but I actually kind of liked it in a weird way when it first came out and it wasn't until like I heard everybody else's gripes about it and I started to look at it in a different in a different light I I mean I see a lot of what everybody was saying was very valid but going into it with a totally just sterile in like uh, a mind and just just ready for it and and seeing the way it was done I mean it was shot brilliantly I mean I, I a small part of me really really kind of liked it when it first came out yeah, I mean
3: and, and for what it was, given, you know, the time constraints and the budget constraints they had on it, like it, it was it was creative. Well, it was kinda neatly done. My only like I shouldn't say my only like my biggest well, gripe with it was just the way they ended it.
0: It was just because they had to, to, to create something so that they could hold on to the rights. Yeah, for yeah. It. Yeah, you know, know. It, 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 yeah, for those who don't know, like every seven years, a studio has to, you know, create something and release something for the for public consumption with what they're licensing or it kind of just the, the the rights expire from what I understand. And, you know, it's it's no good. They kind of lose their their investment. So, I mean, that's why we had so many really crappy Spider-Man reboots for a long time, because Sony was holding on the rights for. Uh, Spider-Man for a long time but that, that, that's totally aside the point let's get back into sorry the uh, yeah the eye um, of the world here
3: but yeah I, I also want to point out in uh, in the prologue here we, we see a couple of things with you know the magic used right we mm. um, yes uh, we see traveling but we see a specific kind of traveling Yep, um, and yeah and, uh, it's um, it's traveling with the true Confused power me. and not the one power you know uh, oh,
0: was that what it was?
3: Yeah, because it's not with a gateway. It's like the shimmer. Yeah, because I was so yeah. confused
0: about how there was no opening in the air. Yeah.
3: Um, okay. And then and then another kind of a big um, uh, misconception I see in a lot of the Would fandom. that not be a spoiler,
0: though, for somebody going forward?
3: Okay, so I don't think we should have to worry about spoilers with the Wheel of Time episodes unless we have new readers as guests on these episodes.
0: Okay. We should have yeah, talked only... about
3: this beforehand, but like... Everybody listening to these episodes will have already read the books.
0: This, this was, yeah. This is something that I had, I had made a note to talk to you about. and I actually forgot to mention this during yeah. our, our housekeeping portion. Same. Should we, should we just retcon what I said earlier and actually? Yeah, we'll that we'll from just chop episode? that up. Yeah. Sweet. Okay. Yeah. Oh man, this feels so good that I get to spoil whatever the hell I want to spoil. Oh, unless yeah. Somebody's yeah. On so Heisen.
3: like we will just you know we will have a couple episodes with like our friends John and Peter on who are like in the middle of their first read. So for Ooh, those, those are, episodes, we'll. <laughs>
0: those are gonna be tough. At that point, not to spoil it. Yeah, but, but okay, I see
3: what's yeah. going on. Okay. Um Yeah, so we, you know, the, the, we see the shimmer uh, with with uh Elan Morin with the Shamael you know, uh, coming in and that's the true power traveling, not not gateways with the one power. Um and then as I was saying, the the misconception that a lot of people have is with uh Luce Theron, he does not bail fire himself. Even though the description sounds kind of you sounds know, like the liquefied like you know, it sounds like it what he did was just he overdrew the power.
0: Yeah, if he had bailfired himself, they would have removed him from the pattern. He wouldn't have been able to, to bailfire himself and the paradox Well, yeah, yeah, yeah it would
3: have brought up the bailfire paradox. It, it is
2: more than just uh overdrawing. He he does something with the power. It's well, he, he does Balefire. something Balefire. creates yeah. he creates the mountain. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I but mean... Whereas, you know, someone else who's instances. overdrawing would just probably burn themselves out exactly. or explode, maybe, we've but not in instances. such a dramatic fashion. Well,
1: I mean, we see it at the end of the series, too. Yeah. With
2: yeah. 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 With
0: yeah. Yeah. So. We see Yeah. We see what it looks like. We've she a few also ex- does choice examples of it. what it looks like in the results of somebody drawing too much of the One Powder. And so powder power and something happens there something different and I was really taken aback by how how cool that scene was I mean the 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 description of the stone turning to vapor at its touch the fact that anybody who glimpsed this bolt even for a second would have been blinded permanently I was just like wow this is cool like 11 year old Rob was just like goosebumps
2: everywhere Reading this. Ah, it was so good. One one thing, first time Pat Reader didn't realize is that the geographical changes caused by Luz Theron's Mm. channeling made the island of Tarvalon in the shape of. Well, you know know what it's (laughs) in the shape of.
1: I didn't know that for the longest
2: time. Within the realm of decency, I can't just come out and say it, but. It was really interesting, yeah. and you know, the mountain could maybe symbolize yeah, yeah. Oh goodness, the male version of that. If you were if that's a stretch. That's much more of a stretch than the obvious, like no, on purpose. It's, Tarvalon. It's not a stretch.
3: It was purposefully done. There's so much that has to do with the one power, and there's so much with like gender dynamics in this series. Like, so I was just on a panel <laughs> at JordanCon this year where we talked about this and like, and uh, um, like gender dynamics in the Wheel of Time, and and a big part of it is the use of the One Power and a lot of the symbolism there and, like, how, um, like, men and women, uh, uh like, accessing the One Power is, like, it's straight up a metaphor for sex. It's, like, yes. men men have to, like, reach out and take it and women open up and surrender to it and, like, and it's, you know, there there's, you know, and, I don't know, it... it <laughs> we don't need to go, go into that now, but, uh, but I very much think the whole Dragon Mount Tarvalon, like... Yeah, you know, that, that symbolism was uh, not only anticipated by Robert Jordan, but purposeful. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah,
1: there's there's something no way that, Harriet like, missed
3: that either. Yeah, something
0: <laughs> that 11-year-old Rob, though, had no context and just went about eight miles over top of his yeah, head.
2: Yeah. And it was yeah. meant to. Yeah, and that, yeah. that's how you do content for adults that kids can also read within the yeah. realms of decency. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's very well and, done.
0: While we're on the subject of this prologue, before we get off of it, there was one more detail that I noticed. Drew, you just brought up about how the traveling, that small detail of the method in which Luz Theron employed his traveling, it was the true power. There's another kind of smaller detail that I noticed as well, uh, similar to that, but nothing really with the true power, but about Luce Theron's particular abilities. When he traveled to the site of what would later become Dragon Mount, he could sense that there were no people within a hundred leagues again i had never picked up on that before but seeing and knowing exactly what the dragon represents and and the, the abilities of, of a self-actualized like uh, a dragon it just it's unbelievable how robert jordan managed to plant an ability like that so early on in this series and still have it come to fruition again later i just i thought it was awesome
3: oh yeah yeah it's so- a Really cool bit of foreshadowing. And, and it's appropriate that right after you know the end of that prologue is when we get those first prophecies about the dragon breaking mm-hmm. the land and all of that.
0: And one is so dark, and the other one offers a little yeah. bit of light.
3: Um, I, I do want to clarify, though. Luz Theron did not use the true power to travel. Eshamael nope. used the true power to travel.
0: Eshamael's... But, but Luz Theron... Hold on. Luz Theron, still- it just
3: says Luz Theron traveled. It doesn't have any description of what it is.
0: It, but no gateway opens. He's just suddenly well, like. We don't know there. that.
3: There's no description. It just says he traveled. There's no description of what he did.
0: Oh, okay, so we can assume that. Yeah,
3: that there was a gateway. But we see Ishamael travel, and he appears in this like shimmer, this like warp. Oh, okay. And, yeah. oh,
0: okay. Excellent. Yeah. Good no, Luce Theron has no know. access to the true power. I, well, cause I th- okay, because. The fact that he was so kind of in the madness. Then again, at that, at that point he was—he was healed. No, he was healed. Okay, I was thinking that his madness perhaps had granted him access to the true power at that point. No, no, but you're right. He's healed. At that. No true okay, true good. power
3: access can only be granted with the Dark One's will. Yeah. So, um, but anyway, let's move on to the the Eye of the World proper, right? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, uh, should I we just that. start with our characters?
3: Well, no. So I want to talk about kind of again the the large scale writing and and how okay. you know Robert Jordan has this brilliant way with developing a sense of wonder and as you know going back and reading this now in 2019 after I've spent the better part of the last 5 years reading everything other than the wheel of time and I've noticed that even in authors like Brandon Sanderson and you know there's there isn't the same sense of wonder to fantasy mm-hmm. now. Everything has been brought down. You know, it's... Like, while Sanderson is still high fantasy, his worlds are so different, it's hard to put yourself in those shoes. It's hard to yeah. experience and empathize with the wonder. Like, like Rand has wonder in yeah. the eye of the world. Yep. Kaladin, in The Way of Kings, does not experience wonder. You know, Vin in in Mistborn doesn't experience wonder. Like, the world is the world to them. Rand is discovering the world in The Wheel of Time. And so it's that sense of discovery and, and wonder and awe that Robert Jordan nailed so well. And part of it is setting the tone with that opening sequence. You know, The Wheel of Time turns and ages come and pass. It gives it this mythic, larger than life kind of feel. And that's lacking in, like, pretty much all modern fantasy. Like, yeah. it's, people just don't write those books anymore.
2: In, in a way that I don't think is coincidental at all, the only other book that I can think of off the top of my head that does provide that is The Lord of the Rings. Yep. Yeah. Because, yeah. again, it's, you have this fish-out-of-water scenario with Frodo and the Hobbits, um, and the more wiser, experienced members of their company... And this is also a good moment to point out that just so much of the Eye of the World is is the Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Well, not so much, but it's, a, a, a I mean,
3: solid uh, Robert Jordan specifically portion. wrote the beginning of Eye of the World to be an homage to the Lord of the Rings. To give familiar ground for readers to tread right. and gain his trust before throwing them off the deep end with the second half of the Eye of the World
2: and... The rest of the series. So let me just let me just break down a few examples for you. You oh, have Caden, sure, sure, Fain, gollum. and Gollum. You have Lan yep. and Aragorn. You have the Ogier and the Ents. You have oh, the, the, the whole ways concept in the mines of Moria, of, like, the journey. You know, your our our heroes from Rand and you know. Well, that's by no means to the
3: unique to Lord of the Rings. No, so that's that's no. you know <laughs> Joseph Campbell hero's journey. But it okay. is there
2: on purpose. Yeah, it yeah. is still there on purpose. Um, you know, La- uh, uh, Moiraine and Gandalf fulfill a lot of the same role. Mm-hmm. Um, although sure. they're less directly similar than like your Aragorn and Land, the uncrowned king who's been exiled yeah. from his home, uh, and you know has sworn, you know, vengeance and what what have yeah. you.
0: and you have this ultimate prophecy, the Black Mountain, the place where all yeah. things end. You know,
2: like yeah, the, the dark. Y- there are a lot of 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 parallels. Mordral sure. and Nazgul. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know the list. The list goes on, and I'm I'm not. Saying that I think it's a bad thing, Mark. You, um, but as astute readers, we have to point out that it is there, hmm. and it does serve a legit purpose. And uh, yeah,
3: and and I Jordan, and I also want to point out like that there's a difference between inspiration and homage and plagiarism, which is like yes. an issue that, for instance, Terry Goodkind has, where uh-huh. you know he he straight ripped things off of the Wheel of Time and not like oh, classic fantasy ever. tropes, like you know. The wise mentor and, you know, the exiled king and things like that and, and building the hero's journey. He has all of those names. things as well. Blatant names. But but he has other things like he has The Stone of Tears. He has a thing <laughs> yeah, he he has a thing called the Radahan Han that is A domination a band collar yes. and chain that women who can use magic use to control other magic users. Gee. Wow. And he like and he's got, you, you know, the Sisters the blood of the, of the fold, Light who are who, who, the Children of the Light. Yeah. He's got the Sisters of the Light who are an all-female magic user organization yep. who refuse to uh, admit that there are evil magic users in their ranks until it's proven they exist, and then everybody's like, oh yeah, I know the Sisters of the Dark are there. Like, you know, there are they're, they're things that, <laughs> you know, there are broad strokes inspirations that are common across the fantasy genre, and then there are crazy rip-offs. detail ripoffs
0: but remember like according to good kind
3: oh yeah and then he claims kind of he's never read all these coincidences his the then you're probably
0: not old enough to be reading his books in the first place oh
3: yeah that was also the most like he's such an ass oh, but, i
0: wanted to fucking slap the shit out. sorry let's, uh, let's, let's let's not but, make this too negative i, this, yeah, I love this episode but, but this but is the eye of the world back let's to back keep the eye of the world
3: back to the eye of the world oh no um i just spilled my beer um, it's okay. We're getting animated. It's good. This is good um, podcast content. Yeah, I was. I, I My inner Italian was coming out, and I was gesticulating <laughs> with my beer in my hand. Um, but you know, going back to the sense of wonder and and the way he slowly expands the world for us, it's it's a way for an author to build a crazy, you know, in depth fantasy world without overwhelming the reader. You know, like. He throws around a lot of names. You know, a lot of capital letter words in the Dragonmount prologue. And he throws around a lot more in the early chapters of <laughs> the Eye of the World. But he does it in a way that, you know, his characters also don't understand them. So it's it's not overwhelming to us. It's, you know, to, to make a comparison to the, to the Stormlight Archive, one of the reasons why a lot of people have a hard time with the Way of Kings is that the opening chapters of it throw around a lot of these terms and things, but the characters themselves understand them. But we don't.
0: So we He's have to like kind of work like a
3: lot out. harder to put it together, you know. And and he gives some explanation for things, but it's not the same as the character discovering with us, which Robert Jordan does in The Eye of the World.
0: Yeah. I'd agree. I definitely very very much agree.
2: And even, and despite that, a lot of the names in the Dragonmount prologue aren't even relevant yeah. for a while. So, so you,
0: you humbled me at the gates of Perendecen. I was like, what? what's going right, on? And even we about?
2: like don't fully understand the significance of those of those like couple sentences. You know. You summon the nine rods of dominion. It's like, oh yeah, we're we're still like, what, what? the hell are those? Are no, they you know the know those are, those oath rods? Are they... rods? No,
3: they're not oath rods. The no, no, Nine they're... rods of dominion are the nine. Oh, you actually don't of know the region, main regions of the Age of Legends. Ah, the they're, yeah, they're way more they're than. So heads. the oath rods are called binders. Remember? Yeah, yeah, and they're like we see an oath rod with the number 111 on it. So there's obviously way more than nine of them. Mm-hmm. No, the the nine rods of dominion were were the nine regional governors of the Age of Legends.
0: They're figureheads, rulers in their own right. And sure. there was also the 17 generals of Don's Gate, weren't there? It was, Or was that listed in this prologue yet? It wasn't.
3: No, that's not in the prologue.
0: Oh, yeah, okay. but ah, It's okay, we don't care about spoilers.
3: Um,
0: so, yeah. <laughs> uh, anything else stylistically you want to discuss about Jordan and the way he approached the story before we start talking about
2: our characters on an individual level? Um, Just one minor point that a lot of people say that in order to make successful adaptations to any sort of film with these books, they'd have to cut out a lot due to the length. I think that's kind of nonsense because when you actually examine a lot of the writing, yes, the books are long, but they're long due to lengthy descriptions. And yeah. the thing about any visual media is that description is an instantaneous realization on the part of the viewer. So you've instantly, from that fact alone, cut out at 25%, at least, of any given Wheel of Time book. Yeah. So that's just something, you know, that we can bear in mind as we wait in hopeful anticipation <laughs>
0: Yeah, no, I never thought it would translate very well to, like, the big screen, but as, as, a, as, a,
2: as a series, uh, absolutely, I can see it working.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And his, even the descriptions of the power when it's being wielded, like, a non-channeler would see nothing. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. that's that is child's play to adapt to the screen, if you know what you're doing. I mean, it's expensive, yeah. but still Yes, it is expensive, but requires a lot. Yeah, of that's also like effects, again but...
3: <laughs> going back to the way that Robert Jordan eases the reader into the world by having none of the immediate characters channelers. You know, like we see Moiraine doing these crazy things, but we don't see under the hood, so to speak. Yeah, and we slowly discover, especially more so in in the Great Hunt. Um, but you know, we we slowly discover how the power works, and so. First off, we get to see these spectacles. We see the fun stuff. We see the the booms and the explosions and you know and and Warren ostensibly growing, you know, 50 feet tall even though she's actually just walking through the gate. Um hold on Nana Did she walk through the gate? Cuz yeah, that's she something that always head. confused the shit out of me because she I was, was like she uses said like, the she mirror specifically of said she stepped over the wall.
1: Yeah, it, with the illusion
3: yeah, she uses the Mirror of Mist to make herself look 50 feet tall, yeah, 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 and then she just walks forward, and the Mirror of Mist version of her also walks forward, but it's so yeah. big that it just looks like she steps over the wall. Because you note, the moment she steps over the wall, suddenly yeah, she's yeah. just standing outside the gate normally, and then the gate clanks shut behind her.
0: Yeah, so surely that would take her like dozens of steps to get from inside the gate, outside the gate, but the, the giant one only takes one big step.
3: Yeah, because it's an illusion.
0: But shouldn't it mirror? You just said it mirrors her exact movements, though. No, it
3: doesn't mirror her exact movements. Oh, okay. It just okay. mimics what she's doing
2: hmm. in a non uh, specific kind of way. Yeah, now, one, one imagines that she's very adept at this weave, given what we come to learn about it later. Yeah, and, also. And true. typical Aes Well, it
0: is easier for women to do the mirror of mist. Yeah, it? well, it's it's a it weave of water, water and air. air. Yeah.
3: Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. And so. those are Moraine's. And she packs an spots, embriol, of course. Aren't they? Yes, they
3: yeah. are. Yeah, um, but so, yeah, that like so there. There are a lot of things that like, I see people complaining about online where they're like, "Oh, Robert Jordan didn't like fully have his magic system worked out yet in Eye of the World," and that is true to an extent. But a lot of the things that people use as examples are not really valid examples. And and one of those is like the traveling in the prologue, and another one is Maureen using the mirror of mists. Like she didn't actually grow over the wall, and the fact that like. Um, the little conversation that happens after that, where Egwin's like, you were so tall, and, and Moraine's just like, oh, was I? The eye can play tricks in the darkness. Like, more, like he knew that it yeah. was illusion right there. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, it, it wasn't some, like, thing where he was like, oh, maybe I'm going to make Aes Sedai be able to grow to giant size. No. Like, that was never the No,
0: plan. no, I didn't think for a minute that she actually grew that size. It just struck me as incongruous as how, like, she could take one single step and somehow... Moiraine herself can just kind of scuttle out of the gate, invisible to everybody else. While that, I guess everybody's kind of looking up at that moment, though, aren't you? There's a fifty foot tall being in front of you. You're not yeah, like keeping I mean, an eye on if, ground level. If you level. think
3: forward in the series to other examples of Isidai using the Mirror of Mist to grow in size, like, like in obviously they're is, still uh, walking Kyrian, right? as yeah. normal human beings, and the Island. their That's illusions King. just walk forward at a normal pace, you know, as well. So yeah. it's like it's not an exact like physical representation where like. Your one step goes three feet, so your illusion, you know, has to only go like three feet for each step too. Like, you know, it's it's an illusion. Yeah, it would be, it yeah, would it would be, be a useless.
2: functionally useless piece of magic yeah. if, if it did operate <laughs> under those rules. So
3: But but yeah. Um but let let's move into characters now because we you know we uh, we I feel like we've kind of rambled a little bit through the first part oh, of this yeah
0: we're we're about forty five minutes in we haven't started talking about characters yet let's get into uh randolph I mean we have nowhere else to start do we
3: yeah Mm-mm. um nowhere what nowhere i I think it's a, a you know it's a fun return to rand uh for me um yeah especially in comparison to where he he goes in the series uh seeing him so um, um, self-conscious and seeing him lack, uh, you know, confidence, and seeing him taking the first steps on on his journey, uh, like growing as a person. Even just you know the the one week between Winter Night and Berlan and and Nynaeve uh, remarks to him, you've grown. You know, just in that in that little bit of time, Rand starts developing the self-confidence that will come to define his character for better or worse later down the road
1: well he he takes a while to get there
3: yeah Yeah, i'm saying this is the first steps yeah i just
1: mean like we've got at, at least three books in the series of him like being so unsure of himself and
3: yes i know that's what i'm saying it's just the first steps
1: i'm just saying he he has a full arc it's not like all of a sudden he realizes he's a magic user and he's like oh i can do this now
0: yes i don't think that was yeah that's well Uh, that's
1: how it sounded when you said it
0: no but (laughs) you know it's it's hard to imagine randall thor this young you know like i'm i'm 27 now and it's it, it is surreal to realize that like right now I'm almost a decade older than Rand is here, and I'm fairly certain I'm the youngest one on this podcast today, yes?
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Uh, like, or actually ever. Have we ever even, like, even had a guest younger than I am? I don't think we have at this point.
1: Yes, Meg.
0: Oh, Meg is younger. Meg's younger, younger than yeah. I am? Yeah, Meg's younger. Ah, okay. Well, then I'm not the youngest. There you go. Boom. Eat it, Meg. <laughs> uh... <laughs> But you know, when I was reading these books during my early teen years, I was like, you know, this guy is me. It's 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 not that he and I had a lot in common, but it's it's something about how he read and Randolph Randall Thor's like his thought processes. It was it, it kind of mixed very similar uh, with my own, like the, the duties he had, helping his father with chores, meeting up with his friends, trying to find time with them. The manner in which he he kind of, he thinks about girls near his own age with this kind of, you know, sense of. There's this mixture of wonder and discomfort blended together. And this is very much a coming-of-age story. It it only serves to make, like, the future of this series carry so much weight with those who are themselves... A, coming-of-age in their own right, and B,
3: just starting to discover real books. You know? Yeah, and, and that goes back to what I was talking about earlier, where... By having us discover the world along with Rand... It makes it easier for us to step into Rand's shoes. Even mm-hmm. if we may yes. not necessarily be the same personality as Rand or or whatever, it's still easy to empathize with him because we are, in in a literary sense, taking the same steps he is.
0: Yeah, no, and he definitely reads, like, so viscerally. Like like okay, take for example. This sense of panic that Jordan instills like through Rand's thought processes as he returns to the broken farmhouse to gather supplies. He's facing, you know, or uh, ostensibly to face Trollocs or the like knows what else. And like, these are some of my first similes. You know, as careful as a uh, a mouse exploring a hawk's nest. You know, like these are moments where 11-year-old Rob was like David Charleston from the Reckoners just kind of sitting there going, wow. (laughs) (laughs) That was a great metaphor. Uh... Yeah, I mean, there's so many things about Rand were just so so quaint to me when I was a teenager. It just—it's it, hard to believe that that. I mean, I think Robert Jordan was probably in his 40s or 50s already by the time he was writing this. You know, it just—he—he—he he, he wrote a character that just felt so natural to somebody, uh, like me at the time.
2: Yeah, how anyone can talk about their favorite characters in the Wheel of Time without mentioning Rand is entirely beyond me. So I'm just yeah. going to say that he is my favorite character. Without a glimmer of doubt, because if you offered Just... me the chance to be anyone in the Wheel of Time, it would be Rand, without a moment's hesitation. A lot really? of people would say Matt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't. That's I... That's...
3: No? I wouldn't want to be Matt, but I would like to hang out with Matt. Yeah. No, yeah, i like to, yeah, I'd like yeah. to go drinking see, with that's Matt. That's why
2: I want to be Rand. I don't want to be Matt, but I would like hanging out I want with
0: to go him. drinking with Matt and Brigitte. That'd be awesome.
1: <laughs> oh, yes.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, Rand I don't know. He becomes such a bummer of a guy to hang out with though later, doesn't he? Until of course, till the very, very, very
2: end. I don't know. That's but Rand, says he's
0: got so much, we so can, much on his we plate. We can cover
2: why that is later, yeah, but yeah. one thing about Rand in this book that I particularly like is that we see glimmers of his personality as it will as it will come to be in the later books. Mm-hmm. It's not like he had a change a complete 180 change of character.
0: Oh no, just, there was
2: a very long journey involved. Yeah. When we see the world pushing him and his reactions to that, that's very closely mirrored in what happens later. Yeah, now it's... he has, he's a legit king and has the powers of a god, but you know. <laughs> it's a matter of scale yeah, yeah, in the eye of the world. Precise, yeah. it's not a matter of, it's quantitative rather than qualitative.
3: Yeah. Um, yeah, it would
0: feel wrong if it happened all at once, but the fact that we got to see that gradual change over all of this, t-
3: well, not a lot of time, narratively speaking, but the f- over, for our experience, it was a long time. Well, and yeah. the point I think Pat is making is that it's not so much of a change, it, that yeah. Rand still at his core reacts the same to things in Eye of the World as he does, say, in Lord of Chaos or Winter's Heart. It's just a matter of scale and then a twisting from his madness eventually. It's that like the core of his character is established in Eye of the World,
2: and every I'll go further than that and say every other character as well. Yeah, oh yeah, certainly no, yeah. Egwene, certainly Aaron. Oh, yeah, That's Matt
3: less so, but Matt has a more dramatic, uh, you know, kind of. I, I might be argued
0: say Matt more so than anybody else. I mean, he's he's clearly got that that mischievous trickster uh, personality. It's just never. But when we get into
3: his head, he's less so of a mischievous we, trickster.
0: Mm. I suppose, but we don't get into his head in this volume
3: at all. No, we don't. No, and that's Which that's why I'm saying in this book, Matt doesn't th- as fully reflect his later self
2: as uh, like Perrin
3: yeah. and, and Matt, uh, Rand and Egwene do. Okay, yeah, yeah.
2: And he probably has the most profound change due to the stylistic differences between Sanderson and Jordan. Oh well,
3: we'll we'll get uh, into yeah. that way down the road. <laughs> oh
2: yeah, but, but well, well, yes. Let's we talk
0: about Matt right now. Let's. Uh, yeah, I mean I. Night- well, I have Matt and Perrin kind of like intertwined in my notes here because they're both it, it, tertiary characters in this volume, and it's a bit surreal be- seeing as you know how how vital they become later and later in the series. Um, and I, I wrote down it's odd how I regard Matt now because he used to be one of my favorite characters, despite the fact that he rarely acts more than half of his own age. Um, looking back now, you kind world. of Yes, yeah, and I of the World. And looking back now, he kind of just frustrates me now that I'm 27, and I'm just reading him. It, it's like, dude, at least act like you're 12 or 14. He's acting like a 6-year-old in a lot of cases. Perrin, on the other hand, still reads like Perrin.
3: Yeah. You
0: know, strong but gentle, slow of thought, definitely not lacking in it, though. Like I, I Perrin still, to me, reads a lot more like Perrin than Matt does. Later,
1: Matt.
3: Yeah, so uh, with Matt, there was... Uh, definitely a sense of frustration for me as well. Uh, and, and it kind of always is with Matt reading Eye of the World, even before he gets the dagger. Um, and although there was actually something I picked up on, and maybe I picked up on oh, this in the past and this. forgot about it, but yeah. um, when, they, uh, when they flee Mordeth and they're, they're all like panicking and stuff, Matt starts saying, at least I, and then he gets cut off. And he was totally about to say, at least I got this. And was about to pull out the dagger. Uh, yeah. Oh,
1: yeah.
3: that's awful. Was he? Oh my god, he totally was oh that no. bastard. What Yeah, but he got interrupted so nobody finds out about it until you know way too late.
2: Oh my god. But the god. the whole plot line with the dagger and his like immaturity is really the seminal moment for his early character development. Yeah, I yeah, I can see that. It, it reminds me of a line that Egwene says later on, like, maybe you won't play so many tricks on people now that one so nasty has been played on you. Uh, mm-hmm. I might be paraphrasing that a little bit, but... No, I remember the line, yeah. That's, that's very uh, accurate. Nynaeve. Hmm. Right? Nynaeve. But let's talk about one of the ones I actually like. Uh, I'm you so like, glad you like so
3: yeah. Uh, again, like you know, when I was younger, reading through this the first time, I didn't like Nynaeve at all. Yeah, you know, up until no, a same. certain point in the series, you know, we'll get to later. But, uh, but reading through this, I, I enjoy her greatly. I, yeah. I agree yeah. with her on so many things. You know, yeah, and it could be because we are her age now. Yeah, yeah, and well, and you, and you have more of an understanding. Like, you're not the little kid wanting to go on the adventure anymore. You're an adult reading this now, and, and you're you just
0: you trying to stop the like, kids from being idiots.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You recognize that Nynaeve is actually acting for the best, as far as she knows, anyway. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not like she's the schoolmistress who's telling you not to have fun anymore. Yeah. Although that was my impression, like you that said, was, for that's a while her early
0: reading. A teenager, yeah. mm-hmm.
2: And a lot of my criticism of her at the time was unfounded. Yeah. 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 Um, and, yeah no. and she is stubborn, but. She's almost less stubborn in this one than I think she becomes later on. I, I agree. She's actually surprisingly malleable. Uh,
3: the scenes with her in Berlan, and then when she meets up with Moiraine um, and Lan, yeah, like she she very quickly recognizes the reality of her situation so, and and adjusts her point of view, in you know, in accordance to mm-hmm. that. Where uh, you know, like she's given opportunities to to dig her heels in and be like, no, I'm not going with you. Yeah. And. But she learns the new information, you know, in the case of you know, Moiraine and Lan, that scene after Shadow Lurga, she learns she can channel, and she's like, okay, well, I'm then going to use this to further my goals of protecting well, the people I love.
0: No, 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 no. She says, I'm going to use this to get back at you, Moiraine. Yeah. And that's yeah. something well, that struck me she says she's is remarkably willing juvenile. to
3: use it to get back at Moiraine, but she goes with them because she still feels the need to protect
0: See, I felt like that was ostensibly the reason that she gave to Moiraine a land, but inside, internally, she feels more vindictive to me. She felt like she was doing this more so to get back at Moiraine for everything that she I thinks Moiraine I don't think Moiraine that's Moiraine's her main done. drive, though. No, it's not her main at drive. At
1: all. Like, well, no, yes, I will, if she's... it
0: comes to getting back at Moiraine versus safe, protecting the others, I would never argue that she wouldn't right. choose protecting the others. But there's just so much internal dialogue with Nynaeve when she's just so f- vicious towards everything Moiraine. Yeah. Despite Moiraine's good intentions and having no reason at this point to doubt Maureen, Ooh, I disagree. She, she, she has lots yes, of reason nothing. to doubt Moiraine. No, Moiraine has done nothing
3: but try and protect these three and try to protect Emmonsfield and everything that she does. But but that's only because we have that information. From Nynaeve's perspective, Nynaeve doesn't fully understand What do understand we have that everything. Nynaeve doesn't at this point? At this point. Yeah, so, so to Nynaeve, she's still, like... She doesn't fully believe that um, that Maureen is telling the truth, and she is lying. But that's my point. What, what reason does she
0: have to believe that Maureen is not telling the truth when everything up to this point has been? Because done for her the whole
3: point. life she's been hearing about Isidai being tricksters and playing games. So and have
0: Rand, Matt, and Perrin, and they all trust Ma- uh, Maureen. No, they don't. All. No, I guess. <laughs> hold on. Really? Let me let me let me back up a little bit there. They don't <laughs> openly trust her, but they they still put their lives in
3: her hands because they have but, no other option. Oh, they have plenty of other options.
0: I guess they could just run away, couldn't
2: they?
3: Well, but they know. They know that if they <laughs> run away, they're going to die.
1: Yep.
2: Right. Mm. Like, the pursuit of the shadow is so virulent. Yeah. and I can sub- like, yeah, see that, actually. Dis- well, in every aspect that doesn't involve moraine Yeah. Like, uh, they, they almost get made so many times when she's not there. Yeah. You know, like, she, they view her as her their only real protection.
1: And she enforces that,
2: too. Mm-hmm. And, like... Rand and Matt have this argument a lot of the time, uh, you know, post him finding the dagger. Um, where Matt is arguing for that, like to just say screw Moraine, let's go off and do our own thing and Rand says, well, I don't think we'd make it very far. Yeah. If we did that.
3: <laughs> and we'll get to that more, you and know, in the and second. And he's entirely half of correct, world, but yeah. But it's, you know, like in, in the first half it's driven home with Rand with the Merdral in the stag and lion. And then again, with the trollocs outside of Shadar Logoth, that they're like, we're dead unless we have we stick with Moraine and Lan.
0: Yeah, I can see that. So it's
3: it's a it's a fact of and necessity for them.
2: You can't blame them for thinking that. But, but no, Nynaeve is certainly vindictive toward Moraine, though. Yeah. That is not something oh, she is. Like, that is not something that really could be I, understated. I find she Nynaeve never acts on it. it I think it just
1: Moiraine. makes her more realistic. Her yeah. character, like, yeah. it's it's just that little thought.
2: Um, and it's well, it's oh, necessary yeah. for one other reason because we get to see in all of Nynaeve's points of view her building up her block. Yes, mm. the the foundations yeah, bu- yeah, for building her block up. are just li- they're laid out very clearly. Um, yeah, due to her distrust of Moiraine and her fear of the power and and all of that stuff. Yeah, and and I think it's very only when she's of the angry at Moiraine to kind of pers-
0: yeah. personify all of your problems in somebody. For Nynaeve this is Moiraine. Right, of course. I mean, Maureen is is a very threatening figure to naive in terms of like her authority with the the Iman's fielders. You know, she she. I don't know. I just she as a teenager, she was very frustrating for me to read. Now that I'm older and closer to her age, I have a lot more sympathy for a lot of things that she says. But overall, I just I can't quite get over just how nasty and vicious she is when everything concerning moiraine like I just I don't know and this could be because I just I'm such a moiraine fanboy do you guys since we're actually on this subject you want to transition into moiraine since we're, we're here or Drew do you have anything else to say it looks like you want to say something
3: well so I was gonna uh move on to moiraine myself and and that yeah, being starts like, off dude um Robert Jordan wrote moiraine purposefully kind of nebulous in the early books especially in this early part of eye of the world um Uh, because I think he wanted people to wonder, is she really, you know, serving the light? Is, is she a dark friend? Is, you know, what are her motivations? And, uh, you know, and I think that, um, uh, the one line where she says like, I will destroy you if necessary.
0: Yeah. I was going to bring that up. How we got to that point in the first half. Yeah. That's I'm just
3: going off memory at this point. Okay, cool. Um, it, when you were reading through the series for the first time, did you ever find yourself wondering,
2: is Moirin a dark friend? Nope, not once. Ever. Yeah, I, I didn't really buy it either, to be honest. Um, not, not once did I even consider it. All that I got the impression of is is what turns out to actually be the case, that she is part of the Aes Sedai, but does not, her goals are not oriented toward the mainstream of Aes Sedai thought, and she's willing to act outside of that.
3: Mhm. So so that was the same with me but there were a couple of points where I I like I think Robert Jordan specifically planted seeds and we'll get into that more in in the Great Hunt and the and uh the Dragon Reborn but one of them was was in this book with her willingness to uh destroy the boys um you know. See,
0: that's where I feel like she cemented the fact that she was not a Dark Friend. Because well, so if she, she was a Dark Friend, she, she says that done she nothing will and given them to to prevent them the from
3: course. getting into the Dark One's hands. Mm. But we also see, as the series goes on, Dark Friends working at cross-purposes. And, and, okay, you know, so okay fair, fair. Fair, I'll give you that. Um, but, I, I mean, I never really bought it myself. I know there were people who were ardent... Supporters of Moiraine as a dark friend on, you know, on on the forums and things like that, and they, um, there were there, there were a couple of points later in the series that they would always use as their, uh, their evidence for that. But, um, but yeah, I, I, I'm I'm glad that I'm I'm not alone in this. That I never really bought that she was, Mm. um, that she really had something you know,
2: nefarious, nefarious
3: in mind. mind. Yeah. But that,
2: that brings uh, a, a quick aside about that line of her destroying them. That illustrates one of the things about this book. Um, and uh, that's that Jordan hadn't really nailed down the concept of the three oaths. The three oaths, as stated, are never mentioned in the eye of the world. All that's ever said is that I said I don't lie, but the truth in I said I tells you might not be the truth you not think what you it think is. You hear. Now, that yeah, provides that's the framework boy. for one of the oaths, but it's not formally stated that this is something they do and it's binding. Really? I we think... never got
0: the, even the those words, the three oaths in this book? Not once? No, I mean, not once. If you're looking for something, Drew, I could search it in my e reader and find it ten times faster, probably.
3: No, I'm uh, I'm I got it here. I'm just I'm looking in the glossary.
2: So you, you can tell That's he has point, the though. concept of them down, but we, we okay, there's a few things that we know. First of all that Moraine cannot lie directly. We also know yeah. that she can't harm someone who isn't a dark friend or when she's not in danger, right? Now those two things cannot coexist. In the sentence that Moraine says, "I will yeah. destroy you."
0: If she says she's willing to destroy the three right.
2: boys rather than the Dark One, who, who she knows yes. are not Dark friends, or at least yeah. has no reason to think that they are, and who wouldn't directly be endangering yeah, her be if the Shadow got them, before no. I let the Dark
0: One have you, I will destroy you myself. Well, exactly. I think were the words? Exactly. I didn't even read that part. I just know that off by heart. Something like that. Um, damn, that's cold, chilling. I no,
2: it is. Um, it's just it's. It's never anything that's really retconned either, in my understanding. It's just one of those details that, the the that him laying out the three oaths later on kind of, omitted. I guess you could say. And yeah, with our 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 understanding of the way the oaths work, I don't think there's a way around it. It's just Oh, I can't see. I can't see a way. Nope. It's just one of those things.
1: What do you have to say, Drew? Hmm.
3: I mean, there are plenty of ways that she could destroy them without breaking the Oaths. Yeah. She doesn't I mean, have she to could just, one power. She doesn't, like, I don't know,
0: could she leave them for the Trollocs? Would the Olds the let her do that? I think they would.
3: Yeah, well, but I mean, she's saying she would sooner kill them than leave them for the Trollocs. But she could just have Lamb kill them.
2: Yeah right
3: but I mean, sh- and he specifically says that
0: he would several times he makes it th- makes it very clear <laughs> that he is willing
2: to do that right i don't know. I, he? to me to me the difference between i will destroy you and i'll have my warder destroy you
0: ah but yeah. the truth in isodai speaks is not always the truth you think you hear well,
1: she can compel him too so it would i don't she think would... she
3: knows the we for compulsion no, I mean no, like no. But the with the bond, the bond. The bond. Oh, the oh the she could compel land. land. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Sorry, I thought you were saying she could compel like Rand. No. But, no, yeah.
0: that specifically doesn't work on him, but as well as it does with others, like with the coin that she gives, right? Huh. What? Doesn't the doesn't the coin kind of yeah ne- normally kind of form like a sort of bond that makes somebody more willing? To do it what does. she says, no, but for some no, no, reason no. it doesn't The coin is not a warder coin
3: No, no, does... not a water, nothing to do with a warder bot. No, all the coin does is allow her to uh, to locate them. Mm.
1: Yeah.
0: Isn't there a point at which she says she's she, one of the clues that ticked her off that Rand was a channeler? Hold it on. Is that, is that he maybe... resisted... No, that he no, you're resisted... definitely... You're right, I'm Rob. just worried about she... spoilers at this point. She, what? she what? specifically says... says that... One of the things that clued me to the fact that you were a channeler is the fact that you resisted the compulsion that the coin... Gives
2: right. it. And it's not like full on compulsion. It's not compulsion. It's, just, it it's not like them... an actual weave of compulsion. I do not it's remember this at all. When, when does this happen?
0: Perhaps one of these uh, proprietary weaves that Moraine herself when does has, this has discovered, like her listening. Um, that, it's in The Eye of the World. I think she says that at the end of The Eye of the I World. I think but it's don't in quote Faldara.
3: I'll have to keep an eye out for that. I do not remember this. She, After she, yeah, she has the powwow the things with that, Pat and Fane,
2: she comes back and she, start, and she gives I a lot of. I think it's in the conversation when
3: she's
0: explaining to Rand. The things that hmm. clued her into the fact that he is a Chandler. The fact that Bella was not tired on their flea well, from his yeah, yeah. field. Uh, that this is one hmm. detail amongst those. Oh, yeah, it might not I be
2: Valdara. It might be, like, at the very end. Well, the well, end is Valdara, right? At the mm. Eye of the World? No, before they go to the Eye of the World. Oh. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway. anyway. But, yeah, we'll keep an eye out for that. Um. Yeah. Um... But no, Maureen, solid and mysterious in this book. Maureen, Land, awesome. So, so you know, go I ahead. Want to talk
3: about Min, uh, because oh, yeah. I have a, I have kind of a complicated relationship with Min's character in this series. But in this book, in this read through, I enjoyed her a lot. Um, I did not like her the first, you know, you know when I read this when I was younger. She she annoyed me. You know, she was she was like the teasing girl. You know. Yeah. And, okay and uh but in in this like i i kind of understand her a little more and uh i also found her honestly hilarious there was one line that that really leapt out at me that made me laugh out loud and it was when uh uh tom was was kind of like lingering and she just turns to him and goes go juggle something
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> she's yeah. like i'm trying to talk to rand go juggle something <laughs> like yeah
2: no i yeah. i agree i i like her a lot more in this book, even as you know, as brief as, a mis- as an appearance as she makes, than later on. And as I yeah. said to you before, the problem w- is later on is that she's in love with Rand. Yeah. If she wasn't in mm. love with Rand right away, I think she still could have been enjoyable.
3: Mm. Yeah, I can see that. No, I don't think I don't have an issue with her like falling in love with him right away. Um. Uh. My my issue with her later on is is due to other things, but um but but her and like those other things are just not present in this book so yeah. she's she's a, a fine character she's amusing and and she provides a good little bit of mystery mm-hmm. you know it's you know she's of course a vehicle for foreshadowing we get some some fun <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, that's that's where all this. my
0: points concerning main are focused
2: uh, the foreshadowing yeah yeah um um touching on the character of Balsamon for a moment okay um okay <clears throat> There's a, a lot of moments in this series throughout all the books where I wonder, why didn't the Forsaken just blank? You know, there's, a, there's almost an infinite number of things they could do. And knowing what we do about Balzaman's capabilities later on, we have to wonder, like, why didn't he just travel to where they were Snatch them up, take them to Ghoul, and have them forcibly turned.
3: Well, I don't think Only he knew where they were.
0: One could argue that's he exactly they were specifically in the, uh, the Stag and lion. The, 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 the just... Forsaken weren't weren't like Balzamon was never really, like imprisoned with the rest of the Forsaken
3: in the same way. I don't
0: think but uh, he, he was still, imprisoned, he, he, but his he touch got on out. the world was still
3: limited, wasn't it? So he was imprisoned. But he was only partially imprisoned, so every thousand years he yeah, was released so why for we about had the, forty years. The Trolloc
0: Wars. We had Arder Hawkwing yes, every like correct. every thousand years in between. Like he was he couldn't quite touch the world in the same way. Like he couldn't just manifest himself and then actually start. Well, but showing what up Pat's saying is
3: like he is out yeah, he as is of out the world. Now, yeah. And what Pat's saying is like why didn't he just do this? Well, the answer is he didn't know exactly where they were. He found them in yeah. in the world of dreams. But that doesn't give him an exact location. So
2: you don't... And win. that's why he
3: has all of his spies out trying to find them.
2: Right. So your view of his his claim that it's really easy to locate Taviran is as skeptical as the rest of the Forsakens about that claim? Um, they do discuss it.
3: I I don't... Uh, so I don't think it's necessarily as skeptical, but I also don't think Rand and Madden and Perrin are as strongly Taviran at this point. They just became Tavirin. Yeah. So, you know, they're not, like... Like, obviously, later in the series, when they're very powerfully Tavirin, it is clear as day where they are. You know, like, Rand shows up in a city and all this crazy stuff starts happening. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not occurring in Eye of the World. You know, that's not... Their, their like The strength of their pull on the pattern isn't as powerful, so it's not as easy to locate them. Okay,
1: so they're specifically... It's Winter Night, right? Yeah. Is when they become Ooh. officially doing I, I think
3: the uh the the we the we Team Jordan was are shortly them, before Winter night.
1: Prologue? Shortly before
3: what, what was that, Rob?
0: Wasn't weren't the Ravens already watching them in the
3: prologue
1: well, years yeah. and years before? Well, they knew
3: Well they knew that like the person who was the dragon reborn was there, but they're not Tavirin from birth. They're only Tavirin when the pattern needs to make them Tavirin. And the word ah, from St. Jordan it, it, is that they were eventually. they became Taviran shortly before Winter Night. So,
0: it depends on how, what how you consider Tavirin, though, because at one point somebody asks Rand, I can't I can't remember exactly who it was, but what, they they say something along the lines of, "Part of me thinks Menethrin had to fall just to give Rand al'Thor a place to be born." I mean, could you not argue that that is also Taviran at work? That's just the
3: pattern of an age. I guess
0: it's a well, yeah. Anyway, we're getting far beyond uh, Eye of the World Part One here though. We're talking like almost meta level stuff. Um here. well
3: well uh while we're on the subject of Menethrin, I just want to yes. give a shout out to that amazing scene once again. That oh, with it. Maureen telling the story. Oh my god, so good. Um and and uh I I have to go from there and and I don't have it with me, but there is if you want an absolute laugh, just Google Eye of the World Reader's Digest version. And there's oh. a uh, there's a hilarious like condensed version of the we of the eye of the world, and it's you know chock full of humor and like you know twistings of things, and the story that uh, um, Moiraine tells of Manethrin in that is very different, uh, and <laughs> and is like basically just used as a distraction for all the men. Where she starts telling a story about how like Eldrine and her chambermaid are lesbians, and like and and like all the all the like two rivers men are like, uh, uh, I I need to leave. Like and, and, what and, the and hell? Then, is- and then yeah. later on, there's a when she's when she's teaching Egwene about the Aes Sedai, like instead of teaching her about the one power, she's like teaching her like super hardcore like third wave feminism and like giving her the Andrea Dworkin reader and like and, and telling Egwin that the, the one power is good for all sorts of things, like vibrating. Incidentally, you'll never need wow. a man again after you master that one. Oh my and then, god. And then later when she's talking to Nynaeve. Uh, you know, she she's telling Nynaeve, like, you can channel, you can do all these things, you can blow things up or vibrate. And Lan just cuts her off and goes, Lay off it, would you, woman? I haven't had it in months. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, it's wow. Very worth this is nothing that I had any clue and existed beforehand. Good laugh.
0: <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah. The, I know what I'm going to be doing when we're done with the podcast. <laughs> right.
3: Uh, yeah. Yeah, what, what are the old, like, classic early 2000s watt humor things that floats around <laughs>
0: yeah but since we just uh, mentioned warrain again really 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 briefly i want to kind of discuss how i thought warrain acted like in terms of like her her um her bond with lan and and like his involvement in the story as well you know like there's something about the two of those in combination, we have Moiraine. She's she's this beautiful sorceress. She's small of stature, but she's grand in vision and she and just sheer raw power. And then we have Lan, the consummate warrior. Like they they share such a a neat duality, you know, something that that defines the very essence of what I or think about, you know, epic fantasy. Anytime we get a glimpse of these two fighting back to back, you know, united in purpose, willing to die for their cause, I was just ugh, it, those two are so cool together. And they are, to me, in a, in a really weird way, like, the ultimate fantasy power couple, regardless of the lack of anything resembling romance, they just, they work so well together. And, like, I just, there's something about the two of them united in their struggle against the Shadow that I just, I don't know, like, those, they, it just works so well for me. I love it when they're, and we don't see a whole lot of them together in the series, you know, going forward, but... Right now, I just I love the like the fact that we get both of them doing their thing so well together. It just it, it it's awesome to me. Well, well to it's read.
3: interesting you brought up like that duality, and you brought up more in stature and how she's like beautiful and she commands the room. The eye is drawn to her. Yeah. Whereas Lan is Lan, huge. He's, like, ugly He's, he's big like a slab and, of rock, and demanding, but he's unobtrusive. He's constantly described as like, you know. Somebody's paying attention to Moiraine, and then suddenly, like when Moiraine walks away, Lan just appears and goes yeah. with her. And and you know, and and in the stag and lion, where Lan settles into such a profound stillness, leaning against the door to the dining room, that unless you were paying attention, you wouldn't even notice him. Yeah. And and how you so you have this this you know dichotomy of the the short woman who demands the eye and the huge dude who you don't even notice.
0: Yeah. And and
1: I yes. think that goes into one of his themes for the series, where he's, you know, obviously light and dark, and male and female, and, you know, the duality of the entire thing. And how when you break that duality, like you do when you take away the male channelers, everything kind of goes off the rails.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But I think yeah. he's using them as like the perfect picture of, this is what it should be. Yes, like this is balance.
0: men and women working yeah, in this unison. Is this is what they can. Ac- yes, totally agree with that. That's what. That's exactly what Warren and Land together represent. When I when I read them, it's just it's it's awesome, and I I appreciate these moments. While I know that I have them, because going forward, of course, they don't exactly have a a a, a path that you know remains. Intertwined, yeah, for much longer at least, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Are well, there any other characters be...
3: we want to talk about before we
0: uh, I just had a bit about Min in terms of uh, like Jordan's foreshadowing. Um, and you know, I just wanted to say that like the viewings that, that Min has are just they're so chilling to read for anyone, which as I assume is most with, who reads this with future context. It's downright chilling to see some of these things that were meant to happen, like, literally from the very beginning of what turned out to be a 14-volume and 23-year journey. Like, it was it was just incredible. Uh, I, I just wanted to give a quick shout-out to Jordan. Like, his ability in this is nothing short of
2: astounding, and I don't think he has a peer and, um, in the entire if, landscape of epic fantasy. Go on. If I'm not wrong, each one of her viewings we have an answer for. There's not...
3: There was a couple that were confusing to there, me. There are a couple of them that we do not have answers for. Okay, so for
0: one, Tom... Mar- uh, Was it Tom Marilyn? I think there was one with Tom that didn't make sense to me. Shit, I can't think of what it was. Sorry, go ahead. Do you, do you know what they are, Drew? The ones that we don't specifically have answers for?
2: Oh, I think there was uh, one with uh a, There was one that I wanted to A hand and a Damn burning it. iron or something like that? Yeah, uh, so, uh, yeah so, uh,
3: with Rand. It was his uh, yeah. bloody
2: hand and a white hot iron.
3: Well, except... A lot of people do assume that that refers to him, you know, uh, in Semerage, but the the white hot iron doesn't really make sense Yeah. on that. Uh, there's...
2: A... Oh, it could be his sword, like his... the branding of the, the herons. Maybe. Or like
0: him, like, forging his soul in pain like he does when he's at the very, very end and he just thinks he needs to be, like, Quain D.R., you know? Yeah. I don't know. All right, let's see. I don't okay, know. so it's I. Food
3: for thought, though. I ha- I have the uh, scene where Min tells all, tells Randall all the viewing. So, obviously, land the seven ruined towers, Babe in a cradle holding holding the sword. We know yep, those. Uh, the Glee yep. Man is a man, not him, juggling fire and the white. Yeah, tower. man,
0: not him juggling fire. I was like, who, oh, his, that's how? Owen. That's Owen.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Owen. Perrin or his a nephew. wolf, a broken crown and trees that's his, flowering his all around died? him. Um oh. and then interestingly the red eagle is for Matt not Pam Yeah, the red eagle not the red hand. And, what and the hells up with that? I I mostly I think that's because Matt because has his the old blood and he is yeah. he you know so he's got like the memories of the Heartguard captain. Um
1: Well, he is him.
2: Well, he is. Yeah, he's probably he the the
3: reborn soul. The soul, of, soul. Um of, of And then there's damage, the eye on the balance yeah. scale obviously, a dagger with a ruby, a horn and, and a laughing face. Those are those are all Good, um, and then yeah, for Rand, it's a sword that is the a sword, golden crown of laurel leaves, beggar's staff, pouring water on sand, a bloody hand and a white hot iron, three women standing over a funeral beer with you on it, and black rock wet with blood. So the only one that I don't quite get the there is the white staff. hot iron.
2: Yeah, yeah, as like separate from the bloody hand.
3: The interesting thing though is in what the... What is the beggar's staff? Is that the staff that he has? In... Well, because what he, he has... becomes a beggar, like the, it's like the whole Fisher King symbology. Okay. Um, oh, okay. Uh, but so, the interesting thing is that as she's going through this, right, the actual punctuation of the sentence, there's a comma after sword that is in a sword, so that's a discrete entity. Then there's a golden crown of laurel leaves, a beggar's staff, Rand pouring water on sand, and then as one item, a bloody hand and a white hot iron. Ah. Yeah. And that's why I don't, I just don't yeah, see... Yeah, There's the same... It, it... Because like his hand isn't bloody, his hand is burned off. Yeah. Right, like it's cauterized. Yeah. So I I don't know uh, that that one doesn't fully land with me there. Uh, I'm not entirely certain. Our listeners, if if you have a better theory, let us know.
2: Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The the sword and the heron branding still makes the most sense out of. It could it, be if but... it, if if all our only two theories right now are the him losing his hand and the the branding on his palms. The branding, stigmata-esque, you know, makes more sense. Jesus. I I
3: also like at at the end of this scene where, you know, he says, did you see anything about rats or dreams? And she says, as for dreams, maybe it's your idea of a dream, but I never thought it was mine. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well said. Yeah, that was pretty good. So Uh,
2: so do we have any, you
3: know, kind of last thoughts about this uh, part? Okay, Lauren.
1: Okay. Uh, Narg. I have to bring up Narg. Narg smart.
0: <laughs> Narg smart.
2: Narg smart. Narg smart. Narg stay. Yeah. <laughs> Murdrall won't talk you. <laughs> the only but time I think we hear a Trolloc using the Common Speech. Correct. Uh, no. Is it? What? No. no. They, no. Chant,
0: they chant. At the end of Shadow Rising. Oh, uh, in, oh, oh Shadow yeah. Two
2: Rivers. Yeah. I
1: forgot about that. They chant
2: Iceem's name. Well. I
1: that doesn't count. But then
2: it gets a name though. Yeah, but, it is. It is just a name, but but yeah in any case okay
1: so can like they they have the ability and it's just difficult for them
3: well I I don't think all of them have the ability I think he was just because he was a wolf
1: yeah blend
3: that he was probably just a little smarter than most yeah some of them have like different mouths different yeah facial structures
0: I just I guess it's whatever they're given at birth and whatever intelligence they have it's got to yeah. be a lucky combination, I assume.
3: And this ties in, you know, this is something that gets mostly abandoned later in the series, but the Trolloc tribes. Yeah. Uh, Land yeah, mentions the, the Davol like, uh, several I mean, times, and, yes. and it, in context, it makes it seem like they're the most dangerous. Yeah. And so it, it could be that, like, you know, the tribes are, you know, some have greater cunning yeah. or intelligence. And Moiraine says, seven bands
0: working together. We haven't seen anything like that since the Trolloc Wars, yep. you know. No. Yeah. But we never get any more bands later.
3: Yeah, I think yeah, the next did. time they're mentioned are like in A Memory of Light, where and I think yeah. that was Brandon's name. No, no, yeah. no.
2: In Knife of dr- no? Knife of Dreams, at least. In knife of Dreams. Yes. Yes. Um, the attack on the manor house.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
3: When Lucifer and takes they, they over. They
2: mentioned the Trolloc tribes. Yes. Oh yes.
1: Because they okay. say how many, and which ones.
3: Interesting. Man, this tells you I how long it's been. Like, I mean, I yeah. haven't read Knife <laughs> of
0: Dreams since two thousand thirteen. Like, so mm. um, Knife of Dreams for me has been a few years.
2: Don't know if it's been that long, but yeah. Yeah,
0: well, um, it's gonna be a treat Pearl. then, because uh,
2: I can't. Oh wait yeah, I'm very forward. excited. I'm gonna be on that episode of the podcast for sure. A memory of light or Knife of Dreams. Knife of Dreams. <laughs> very well. Yep. I'll make sure you're on the schedule.
0: I just wanted to give a quick shout out to that awesome scene we got in the Camelon Road, you know, that like the whole battle against the Trollocs with Moraine wielding the Angriol and her staff, the yep. walls of impenetrable fire, the earth rolling in waves, the sound of a struck gong, the 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 image of the Mer- the Murdral like strolling in and like to the fire, battling everybody such an incredible yeah incredible scene. super sick the fl- yeah. yeah the flight from shatter Logoth and everything that happens in the in the town there the lore surrounding that i mean like in the first half of the first book jordan gives us so much of this world that it just it's 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 nothing short as i said earlier of just astounding he's it's awesome and you know, I just, I'm just i so excited that we're finally getting to talk about all of this stuff. We've been waiting for so long, Drew and I. I just, I i can't thank both of you enough for being on this episode. It's been awesome. What about you guys? How are you feeling the, uh, the end of the first half of the Eye of the World?
1: So on that note, we do have a drag car, right? Yes. Okay, and I don't remember how much yes. detail they go into about the drag car.
2: Not much. Very little.
1: Do they tell you about the, like, soul-sucking aspect no.
2: of it? No. we
3: get that in we the Shadow in, Rising. Oh, we I get believe. that in the Great Hunt. Uh, when the, the drag car attacks Moraine at, <laughs> at, at, <laughs> at Elias. And oh, yeah.
1: But, Rob, did you know that Harry Potter, like, the drag car inspired you know, the, uh, what are they called? Dementors. The Dementors. Do we
3: know that they inspired the Dementors? Yeah,
1: didn't we? I saw that somewhere, right?
3: Like, Rowling said they were inspired by drag car? Yeah. I've never heard this before.
1: Really? Yeah.
3: I mean, it wouldn't surprise me, but I've never heard. That yeah, wouldn't before. surprise me either. If, if if Rowling was reading a lot of uh, epic fantasy
0: at the time. So interesting.
2: Huh. But no, I'm I'm feeling good, feeling pumped to get into the rest of it. Oh,
3: oh, it's gonna be so good. Yeah, I mean, I. It's been so long since I've read these, and this series means so much to me that it, it's. It's beyond description. Going back into these books. I'm, I'm thrilled to be doing this. (laughs) So here, here. So let's move into the final draft. Oh, uh, yeah. Rob, kick it off.
0: Okay. Well, I am, I was simultaneously lazy, but I, I, and, uh, I don't know. Sentimental. If you want to call it that, uh, Because I'm just drinking the exact same thing I was drinking last week, which is the lazy part. But at the same time, you know, this is our 27th episode. We're finally beginning the Wheel of Time. I figured it was only appropriate to bring on exactly what I was drinking on the first episode, which was also on my 27th birthday. I'm still drinking the same bottle I had last week of the Glenfiddich, the single malt scotch whiskey. They're 12-year age. Very nice. You know, green bottle, moderately... Price bottle of scotch up here it's 60 bucks um but there's something about this particular scotch that just has like this very very fruity smoky spicy still fruity though uh blend that I just you know I mix with just a splash of water goes down so nice it's just hands down my favorite lip my liquor it's just a nice sipper and I don't know it's 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 just it's always a safe choice I there's never a
2: negative moment I've had with it Fair enough. Pat? Um, I enjoyed an agave wheat beer from Breckenridge Brewing in uh, Colorado. It was uh, fairly unassuming, but, uh, but nice. Wish mm-hmm. I had more of it. Wish I had something to relate to the eye of the world. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I think uh, Lauren's got something over here.
1: Oh, yeah. So I'm drinking g- Wheels Goes Around. And it is. What? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hold on,
0: hold on. Say that again. Wheel goes around.
1: Yeah, it's it's a goza. So wheels goes around.
2: Oh my god! I had. That's to. awesome. It's a triple pun. <laughs> Damn! Damn it. Actually, That's it's awesome. a quadruple pun. Excuse <laughs> me. I let continue because it's. <laughs> so <laughs>
1: it's it's from Left Hand Brewing, which by the way, Rob. Left hand. You see, it's a. See, it's a red see, hand.
0: I see. Oh my
1: yeah. god.
0: Yeah, so, okay, so, so if you how did Drew let you have that beer is what I want to know. <laughs> uh
3: so yeah, if you're in like the Wheel of Time Facebook group, you've probably seen Left Hand Brewing Company posted many times uh, their logo is a, a red hand on a white circle for you know obvious Wheel of Time Holy connection crap. reasons. Uh, a couple years back I organized like a Colorado Wheel of Time fan meetup and we met at Left Hand Brewing Company. You know, that's sort of the unofficial Mascot of real time awesome. Watt fans, um, but yeah. So I I am drinking today a uh, a Burgundy sour ale, uh, aged in oak barrels with raspberries, from Crooked Stave. Uh, you know they're uh, another Colorado you know brewing company. Crooked Stave artisan beer project. They do a lot of like barrel aged stuff, a lot of sours, um, but. This beer is called Origins, and you know I, I feel like Very nice. that's Origins. that's all I need to say about that name. You know, uh, the the beer itself is super good. So this was what we were all like ooing and awing over early yeah, in the episode. You I, I let
0: around earlier.
3: Lauren and Pat try it. it. It's so good, phenomenal. This is a great great sour. I mean, it is it is tart. You got a lot of that raspberry. You got a, a lot of that wood barrel in there. I mean, it's just delicious, though. This here, is here. extremely flavorful. Dang,
0: so, uh, this sounds good. Yeah,
3: yeah. We, you know, it's gonna be, uh, you know, some work cut out for us to keep going with the uh, the themed beers through yeah, all of I these real Time week,
0: books. And I actually bought my beer already for the next week, but it's not, like, super thematically appropriate. It's just like, meh, haha, kinda. Alright, yeah. But, I I mean, I've got it. It's actually right here next to me. I'm not going to say shit. Sorry.
3: (laughs) But, yeah, so I think, you know, that's a wrap for episode 27 of Inking Out Loud. Um, 27 episodes. Obviously, we're going to be finishing up Eye of the World. And uh, we're going to have the same lineup for that one. We'll have Lauren and Pat back on that. Sweet. Um, As always, you know, take a look at our Patreon. If you want early access to these Wheel of Time episodes, you can get that there. We will be doing... uh, uh, Strike at Shale Ghoul as our next uh, short. Uh, I forgot about that. Patreon oh, it just got so much more exciting. Uh, so you know, check that out. We will, you know, down the line, obviously, we'll also be doing River of Souls and uh, uh, what is it? A-, A Fire in the Ways, the the brand new um, non-canon Memory of Light deleted scene. Neither of which I've read. Um, yeah, you know, so we we got some fun stuff on Patreon. Check us out. You know, uh, that support allows us to pay Pat and pay Danny, our artist, and and pay for our hosting for the podcast so we can keep doing this. And, uh, yeah, as always, I'm your host, Drew McCaffrey. With me is my co-host, Rob Santos. Yep. And our special guests,
2: Lauren and Patrick McCaffrey. Who's riding once again on the winds of time. (laughs)
3: Yes. (laughs) Very nice. So, yeah, we'll catch you next time. Thank you, everybody. Later. Goodbye.